Hey everyone, welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Scherer, and I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, Maris Degener. Maris is a yoga student and a teacher, as well as a UCSC psychology student. She came to the practice of yoga in high school after facing mental health challenges and has fallen in love with sharing the practice and passing on what has been taught to her. Maris teaches vinyasa flow, and her classes have been described as loving, passionate, and heartfelt. Her classes are intended to guide students back home to their inner power and to provide them with a mindful balance of movement and stillness. I first came across Maris and her story when I watched her documentary film on Netflix called I Am Maris, which details her struggle with an eating disorder and mental health challenges like depression, anxiety, and panic attacks, um, and how she used yoga as a tool for recovery throughout that process. And I really saw a lot of myself in Maris's story as somebody who struggled with an eating disorder as a teenager and discovered yoga around the same age as well. And, and I really used yoga as a tool for my healing journey and recovery. And it, it was just so beautiful the way she shares her story in this film and to see that reflected and to see some of myself in her. And I realized that that's not a conversation we've had on the podcast yet about how yoga is a really impactful tool when it comes to not just mental health, but eating disorder recovery. And so I'm really excited for Maris to come on today, share her story with you, and share some insight into how yoga has impacted her journey. Hi, Maris. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. Um, and I know you and I have, have talked a little bit before about the, the similarities in our journeys, but um, I'm just so excited for you to share your story with, um, with my audience and, and with the world. And, you know, I mentioned I, f I discovered you through your documentary, which was such a beautiful portrayal of your journey through healing. Um, and I, I just really love the focus of that film and of the way you told your story on the healing aspects of your journey, um, rather than kind of living in, in the darkness of it, because it can be such a dark place to be in that, that place of struggle. Um, and it was, it was just beautiful that you gave so many tools for healing for, for everybody who watched that. So thank you, first of all. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would love to just dive right in um, into kind of the main topic of it all, which I'm, I'm really excited to introduce here. We talk about yoga a lot on this podcast and, and especially how it can be a healing tool for mental health in particular. But something that we haven't talked about at all is how yoga can play a role in eating disorder recovery. So I'd love to hear for you how, how you feel yoga played a role in your eating dis disorder recovery. You know, I think yoga what it really offered me was a method of self-study so when i first entered eating disorder recovery i i had access to therapy and i was even seeing a therapist before my hospitalization but i really struggled to use it productively not that there's a right or a wrong way to go to therapy but i would literally walk in the room and just have nothing to say at all mm. um, and if my therapist can approach me i would just immediately um, shut down and I think a lot of that came from an understanding or a belief that I held that if I reflected on myself too much or if I 
looked too deep into areas of growth or healing, it meant I was admitting some kind of weakness. Mm. And so when I found the practice of yoga and my teachers were speaking so passionately and so compassionately about self-study through the lenses of compassion and truthfulness and service, um, I started to see that there was actually a lot of strength to be found in that kind of self-reflection. And so I could come to my mat and I could, you know, hear the teachers share, you know, their own personal reflections and they would offer some prompts for personal reflection. Um, And I would start to kind of bring these things to the surface. And then I had a way to communicate better with my, with my therapist, or even just, I felt like I had more clarity when I would sit down to journal or to paint. And um, the other beautiful thing about the practice of yoga is that, you know, there's the physical, there's the asana, and it gave me a way to embody what I was learning. So I would, you know, have these periods of self-reflection, I would have some kind of, you know, revelation or some sense of the work that um, I could try on. And when I would move through the physical practice, it felt like I was really integrating what I was learning. And every time I came to my mat, it was a chance to practice what I was learning. So I think in many ways, yoga can be a great complement to um, like therapy or, or other traditional forms of treatment. It just really depends on what the individual is looking for or what they need. Yeah, that that is such a beautiful perspective because a lot of the people that I've interviewed on on this podcast who are yoga teachers or just um, you know long term practicing yogis, we we talk about this kind of concept or phenomenon that happens where most people generally start yoga or find yoga for the physical asana. A lot of people, especially in Western culture, find it, um, you know, for the purposes of a workout or of gaining flexibility and, and changing their physical body. And at some point in their journey, whether it's one class in or a year in or however many practices in, they, they, they discover that yoga is so much more than just a physical practice and it's beneficial on, you know, mental, emotional, spiritual levels. Um, but what's interesting is for you, it sounds like it was almost the other way around. Like you came to yoga for all these other benefits and then it was like, oh, wow, there's, there's the physical asana too. There's a way to, to feel more grounded and integrate this into my body. Would you say that that was the case for you? No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, so I, I came to the practice of yoga because it was the only form of exercise that my, that my doctor would allow me to do. Um, because I had been on, you know, bed rest or partial bed rest for so long. And um, I was like desperate to move my body. And my doctor was like, yeah, you can try yoga. It's just stretching. Like, (laughs) um, she didn't have any physical concerns about it. Um, so I did come to the practice, you know, as a way to, to work out. And I was really lucky that I landed in a studio and in the hands of teachers who um, were very clear about the fact that yoga isn't, isn't like a workout regimen, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's, it's so much more and it has so much more historical meaning and, and cultural value. Um, but no, I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't come to yoga with maybe the purest of intentions, um, but I wouldn't have it be any other way um, because that's what brought me to the mat. And that's what kept me coming back long enough for me to actually hear what my teachers were saying. Uh, and slowly over time that, that relationship with the practice really evolved. And I was able to see how the physical practice, um, it's just a method of, of practicing everything else that I was learning, um, mm. which I think I, um, 
I hear in a lot of my students, you know, like coming for the what you think is going to be a workout and then finding so much more. Yeah, which really is the gift of yoga. Like people, people don't know what they're getting into when they first start. <laughs> and it's so amazing, all the tools and gifts that it can provide in your life. Yeah. What do you think are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned from your practice so far? Um, I think I think one of the greatest lessons is that uh, I, I came to the practice because I thought I needed to be fixed. Like I thought I was broken in some way. I thought uh, something about me was just messed up. And I thought there was just some inherent uh, wrongness about me. And I wouldn't be worthy until that wrongness was corrected. And if I look back on, on my life, you know, there are so many different ways that I tried to uh, correct myself. Like if I could be the perfect student, or then, you know, if I could eat perfectly, you know, this, that, or the other. Um, and then when I came to yoga, I approached it with that same mindset of like, oh, I'll learn how to do the perfect handstand, or like, I'll learn how to be the most <laughs> yeah. flexible yogi out there, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and then I will be fixed, and then I will be worthy. And what I was luckily exposed to was, you know, the, the philosophy and the the continual process of evolution and self-study um, that made me realize I'm already whole and complete and I don't need to be fixed and I'm not broken. Um, and the real practice is in being able to honor the, the beauty that's already in there. Mm, I love that. That is definitely a profound and powerful lesson and such an important one for everyone to learn. Especially, yeah, and I think especially, yeah. oh, sorry. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to say especially in conversations around mental health. Exactly. Um, you know, like this, this idea that you're not worthy until you're, you're fixed or until, um, you know, you, you find the perfect medication or this, that, or the other. Like those are all valid and important tools of healing, you know, whether you take therapy or medication, those are important, um, but they're not there to fix you. Like, they're not there to add worthiness to you. Because mm -hmm. you're already inherently worthy just by being here on this planet. Um, and it's, it's something that I've become more aware of as time goes on. You know, the way we talk about mental health and the way we try to frame it as, as a before and after thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you wait for the success story um, to really honor a person. And I think it's something that it, it can do a lot of harm. Yeah. And so in your film, you, you share a lot about your struggles with anxiety and panic attacks um, and your mental health challenges. How do you feel like yoga helps you deal with mental health challenges now? Um, and you alluded to this already, that it is an ongoing thing. It's not like this before and after, like I was struggling and now I'm fixed and I'm 100% better all the time. Yeah, I think, I think yoga gives me, my yoga practice gives me permission to be human. Um, and, you know, I, I come to my mat and I'm able to, to show up as I am and I'm able to move through whatever I need to move through. And I am really forced to be present, you know, even just on the, the simplest manner of I need to be present with the breath in order yeah. to really stay on my mat. And I need to be present with the body I've brought to the mat that day. You know, maybe what felt good yesterday um, isn't what feels good today. And I need to be present to be mindful of that. Um, and so as someone who struggles with anxiety, you know, kind of worrying about what's happened or what will happen, um, someone who struggles with, with depression, you know, lingering in the past, um, that, that presence is really invaluable to me. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. Somebody who struggles with anxiety as well, it's, I feel like presence is the antidote to it because you, you, it's really hard to be anxious about the future and be in the present at the same time. Mm. So it kind of forces you to choose one or the other. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this before um, when you were talking about, you know, how fortunate you were to find the, the studio and the community that you found. Um, I think from the outside looking in, yoga can often seem like a solo or individual journey, which in many ways it is. We show up to our mat and we, you know, are working through our own personal lessons and struggles and um, integrating new things. But in your film, it's really clear that the community of your yoga practice was also impactful for you, the teachers in the studio and then your students eventually. So how do you feel like community plays a role in your yoga journey and in life in general? You know, I grew up in a, in a pretty small town, a really small town, and there was kind of this facade of perfection that was laid over everything. Like everybody had the the smartest kid, <laughs> you know, the kid that was playing the most sports and everybody was kind of in each other's business. Um, but things like mental health uh, or well-being weren't talked about, um, or if they were, it was gossip. <laughs> mm. And it wasn't with genuine concern. And, you know, when the film came out and when I started being more public about things I had gone through, I had a lot of people reach out to me individually from my hometown or um, from school and, and share with me things they had been going through at the exact same time. Um, and it made me really sad to, to imagine a time where, um, you know, I wasn't talking about this and, and nobody else was talking about it, at least not publicly in my town. And we were all just suffering alone. You know, we were, we were side by side, but we were all suffering alone. Mm. And, you know, when I came to the community where I was practicing yoga for the first time, um, there was such an openness and such an awareness about the, the struggles of being human that gave me a lot of permission to, to be myself. I mean, I, I don't think I knew what that meant for a long time. Like I didn't, I didn't, everybody said, you know, be yourself, be yourself. And I spent a long time being like, well, I don't even know who myself is. <laughs> like, like I thought I had to have some like bundled up version of who I am. Like I'm the smart one or I'm the funny one or I'm the pretty one. Um, and when I found that community in, in the, in the yoga practice, I, I realized that, you know, being yourself is being yourself presently. Um, you know, kind of like we were saying before, like not waiting to be fixed or changed to be, um, to be whole and complete, um, but also not waiting to be fixed or changed to be seen. Mm. Um, and I think that's what I really found in a community that I, I hadn't experienced before not in a not in a supportive way like that yeah and that is such a beautiful thing i can absolutely relate to that i grew up in a, a pretty small town as well where mm -hmm. it was just kind of expected that everybody be perfect and the ones who weren't like got gossiped about and talked about and it was you know there was a sense of shame around mm -hmm. anything that that appeared to be off or imperfect and the yoga community and, and the studio I found was really an oasis for me. And it's, it's such a beautiful way that you reflected that, that it becomes this kind of like a safe haven where like you have, you, you find this pocket of the community that it's okay. And it's celebrated to talk about the parts of you that, that 
don't appear to be perfect and it's okay to love yourself throughout that whole process. And mm-hmm. it makes such a big difference to have people who encourage that around you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, has your family gotten into yoga since you started? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that can, I yeah, it can go They have their way. own practices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's oh, it's always interesting when, you know, one person in the family is really into a particular practice to see if other people adopt that or if they kind of just like, you know, stay in a different, uh, in their own bubble. Yeah, I mean, my, my partner practices sometimes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't think it's resonated with anyone, anyone yeah. in my family in the same way. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Everybody's got their own tools, their own path, and yeah. it's, all, it's all good. Absolutely. So one thing I really noticed um, in the film, and obviously this is only a snapshot of you in your life, so it, it doesn't paint you know the full picture of who you are, but um, something that I noticed was just the confidence in the way that you teach. And when I was a teenager, I was much more timid than you appear to be while teaching. I remember my voice would shake and I would get so nervous when I first started teaching classes. Um, So I'm just curious to know, like, how does being a yoga teacher empower you to find your voice and use your voice? And has your teaching style evolved as you've, as you've grown? Uh, Yeah, it's absolutely evolved. Um, You know, I was really lucky that the training that I went through, um, it put a huge emphasis on the fact that, you know, just because you're a yoga teacher doesn't mean you're like an authority on the practice or like you're this all knowing guru that people should just worship. So I felt no pressure going into teaching to have all the answers. Mm. Um, I, I really felt like I was just a vessel for the practice that comes through. And I really felt like to be of service to my students meant and just passing on what I was what I was taught and not pretending to be anything that I that I wasn't. Um, and that's not to say that I've always done that perfectly. Like I think there's times where the ego steps in or or you know, you you project expectations of others onto yourself. Um, mm-hmm. but I really felt like I'm just here to to pass on what's been taught to me and and removing that burden of perfection I think really really let my voice come through. Um, and I think that, you know, I grew up with an understanding that that for for a woman to be um, really loud, <laughs> for a woman to be like the one in charge, um, that that was somehow bossy or like asking to take up too much space. Right. And so when I when I did have this space and I was supported by a lot of women, you know, a lot of strong women teachers, um, I think it was just really liberating, and I really soaked in that that liberation, um, and I. Yeah, I just, I tried to show up just to pass on what was given to me and to let whatever was going to come through, come through. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. You just, yeah, have to kind of surrender to the process almost rather than trying to control it. And like you said, just every time you teach and and a different set of students show up in the room, something different wants to come through anyways. So just letting that happen is, is the most natural way to go about it Mm -hmm. yeah I mean a big part of of becoming a teacher is learning how to um, you know find that balance between showing up prepared um, but also not showing up attached to a plan and not seeing 
the bodies that are actually in the room, you know, like being willing to to drop whatever ideas or expectations you have for the class and just um, be really present and, and of service to who's actually there. Mm, yeah. It's, I mean, it's so beautiful just to hear like all these different lessons that you've accumulated from not only your personal practice, but from teaching, because as somebody who, you know, you share about having struggled with anxiety and depression and panic attacks. Um, but it's so clear that like you've, you've gained so much from this practice as tools to learn to cope with and manage and live with those things in a way that like they don't control you or you don't feel like they dictate you know the course of of how your life is going to go and there's just such a groundedness about the way you speak which mm. is so beautiful coming from somebody who has struggled with with mental health challenges yeah. well thank you and um I don't, I don't always feel very grounded. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of life. I don't think we're supposed to feel yeah. grounded 100% of the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I try my best. And, you know, these, um, like, the conversation we're having are things that I've reflected on a lot. So there are things mm. that, I, um, that I feel equipped to kind of respond to in a, in a grounded way. But, no, there's definitely lots of part, many parts of my life that feel messy. <laughs> you know, many, many parts of even teaching, you know, my relationship to teaching or my relationship to the practice of yoga that feel really messy. Um, and I'm, I'm still navigating those spaces. Do you have other tools or practices besides yoga that you use to stay in, in a grounded state or return to a grounded state and stay in a recovered state when it comes to your eating disorder? Yeah, I mean... I mean, there's kind of like the, the like classic uh, methods that I use. Like I still go to therapy. I still see the same therapist. Um, I spend a lot of time outside. Like I just love going for walks or hikes. Um, just spending time in nature has been really key to my, my personal healing. And then something that I've also, you know, come to find that I didn't always think of as a tool for healing, but I've been leaning on more and more is like, the idea that that celebration and friendship and connection is really healing. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, my birthday was a few weeks ago and my teachers surprised me and, you know, had a little get together at this restaurant. And, you know, I'm someone who like, I like to go to bed at like nine 30 and like read my <laughs> book and like light a candle. Like that's a, that's a wild night for me. <laughs> but we were at this like Mexican restaurant eating tacos until like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, Oh, this actually feels really healing. Like this, mm. this laughter that we're all sharing and this connection that we're all sharing, um, this actually feels like a different kind of healing, but something that's filling a part of my soul that I don't think is always filled. Um, and it was just, I think that playfulness is something I lean on more and more. Mm, yeah, that is so important. That's something that um, I've been talking about a lot lately is how much, um, connection really really fuels healing and also just general happiness in life in, in general there's such a an epidemic right now of social isolation and loneliness mm -hmm. and that contributes so greatly to mental health issues and it's amazing what a little bit of laughter with some good friends can do yeah absolutely and this is something that I've talked about recently with with one of my teachers who's had a similar experience um, but, you know, so much of my mental health struggles uh, manifested as isolation. 
time, you know, so if I was feeling anxious, it was like run and hide, you know, yeah. my eating disorder really isolated me from, from social connection or, or even leaving my house at times. Um, and so sometimes it's not always the most healing for me to sit down and quietly meditate alone. You know, sometimes that's not actually what's needed for me. Like, yes, meditation is powerful and it's, you know, an integral part of my practice, but sometimes I need to like go be around people. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes what's not needed is for me to like lock myself in my room and like journal alone. Like sometimes I need to go process with another human mm. um, and learning how to know what I need. It, it's another practice of, of that presence we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Do you feel like when you um, were, were just kind of diving into your recovery and coming out of the hospital, um, was, was there any sense of like, isolation or shame and not being able to talk about your eating disorder or not wanting to talk about it rather? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I didn't really talk about why I was hospitalized for a little while. Like there were a few people that I confided in, um, but it wasn't something that I was super public about. Uh, and I had a few instances where I would share that with someone and, and they reacted negatively or um, we acted out of just ignorance around what mental illness is. And I don't hold that against them because mm -hmm. they were like 14 year olds, you know, <laughs> yeah. growing up without a community that talked about mental health. Um, so it, it did, it did kind of give me this impression that I couldn't share what I had gone through until I had a, a way to wrap it up in a pretty bow. Mm -hmm. Like I, I couldn't share what I was going through until I was a success story. And this actually came up in the last year, um, that gave me a lot of clarity around how I was feeling at the time. Um, because like a local newspaper ran a story about me <laughs> and I was like on the front page, it was like a giant picture of my face. And it said something like from anorexia to inspiration. And something about the article and the way that headline was written made me feel like, oh, this is just trying to create a black and white picture of what mental illness looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I, like I can't be an inspiration until I'm healed and fixed and I'm, I'm just this nice, easy cover story, you know, like this feel good local story. Um, and I realized that that's probably the message that I was sent when I was still living in that town as a kid. Um, like this message that we don't talk about these things until they're, they're fixed and corrected. Um, and they can be put into a, a really simple, easy to digest narrative. Um, so I think at the time I felt pressure to like, hurry up and fix everything before I could talk about it. Yeah. And it, and it led to some secrecy until, until I realized, you know, the power that was in there and sharing um, the in-between spaces and the gray areas. Yeah. God, I relate to that on such a deep level. It's, <laughs> it is, it, there's so much pressure, especially in communities like that um, to, to not be a work in progress. Like it's not okay to still be figuring things out. And you're so right. It's like as soon as you realize there's a problem, there's this pressure to like fix it as quick as you can so that you can present to people like, here's what I did. Here's what I accomplished. And like, it's all it's all good now. And that is I mean, it's unhealthy on so many levels, clearly, for a lot of reasons. Um, but it just it puts this feeling on you that it's not OK to be human. Mm -hmm. And like you were talking about your, your practice gives you permission to be human. And I think that is so important because we're never not a work in progress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's never a point in our entire lives where we have everything a hundred percent figured out. So 
alleviating that pressure is the key to to just getting to like be okay with where you're at and enjoy the moment yeah and yoga oh sorry go ahead oh no it's okay I was just gonna say like I, I remember in the film you said something about I don't remember when when in the timeline this was that you started your blog but you said something about wanting to share the shit that's hard to talk about <laughs> and like yeah, that I, is so said that. okay yeah and that's where like when you start to give yourself permission to do that and to like share things while they're still messy, that's when other people really resonate with your story and like maybe see some, some of themselves in it and are able to be inspired by it rather than thinking they have to be perfect too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know about you, but I don't feel perfect. (laughs) Never. (laughs) I think a lot of people don't. Um, And that's its own other conversation, but I think we resonate with this recognition of that. Um, like completeness in the imperfection like we resonate with that idea that we can share on what feels a little messy or uncomfortable um, because it's relatable like more relatable than a perfect narrative which I don't think many of us identify in our own lives right and yeah I mean trying to keep up this appearance that you're perfect is actually really isolating because people can't it's hard to it's hard to get close to perfect it's so much easier to get close to somebody who's vulnerable and who's real and messy is real. And yeah, when you give yourself that permission to not be perfect, it's so liberating. You're like, great, now I can just be who I am. I don't have to try so hard. Yeah, yeah. Do you still blog? Is that something that you still use as an outlet? I still write. Um, I think lately, and like this is one of those messy things, lately I've felt a bit of a hesitance to like, um, publish what I write mm. quite as often or um, or like quite in the same way I used to like I was when I first started my blog I was posting like three three pieces a week like I was really writing a lot oh, yeah that's a um, lot and I think something that I'm working through right now is um, as I see the film more often and in more places I find myself being very critical of it even though I still believe in the core message of like hope and healing and and the way we made a film about eating disorders that wasn't exploitative Um, but I find myself like latching onto things where it's like oh I would have said that differently or I have a different perspective on that now or or I wouldn't have done that nowadays Um, and I actually had a conversation with my therapist about it recently and and she said well why do you hold your younger self accountable for knowing the things that you know now Mm. Um, and I think that the hesitance I feel around writing publicly right now is like the hesitance um, or the fear that it will eventually become the film to me. Like I will look at things that I've written today a few years from now and and hold this self accountable for the things that I will inevitably learn in the future. Um, So that's something that I'm working on um, is, is accepting what, what I know in the moment and accepting that there are things that I don't know that I don't know, that there will always be things that I can, I have been to learn and nuance my opinions around. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's where I am now with, with publicly writing. I think it feels a little um, unapproachable at the moment. And I love like just letting that be okay too. Like letting it be okay that you go through seasons in life and whether it's with writing and sometimes you write prolifically and other times you might not write for a year straight and like that's okay. 
And same thing with your yoga practice. Like sometimes it might feel amazing and juicy and open and expansive. And other times it might be frustrating. Mm. And again, yeah, just going back to that permission. I think that's, that's such a beautiful lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is some advice that you would give to other young girls out there who are struggling with eating disorders or other mental health issues? Um, you know, whether they have started to seek treatment for it yet or not, what, what is something that you wish you would have known when you were younger? Um, that you don't need to prove to anyone that you're sick enough to get help. Mm. Uh, I think that was something that I latched onto and that I've uh, had to untangle over the years is this idea that I need to get to a certain point of sickness or pain or discomfort or that I have to look or act a certain way in order to be sick enough. Um, and then once I'm sick enough, then I deserve help. Um, and, you know, the, the thing about that game is like, you're, you're never enough, right? Yeah. Um, there will always be something that will hold you back from seeking help if you are waiting to be enough of anything. And um, I think what I would want to, to share is the idea that you already deserve support, whatever that looks like, to whatever degree from, from whoever it is, like you already are deserving of that. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't need to apologize for, for using that support. Thank you for sharing that. That is, that is such an important message for anybody listening to hear, but especially if you're struggling with um, an eating disorder or a mental health challenge that's that couldn't be more spot on you know everybody deserves help and support no matter where where in your journey or on the spectrum you're at yeah and I mean particularly with eating disorders um because you know like body sizes and there's so many problematic (laughs) um ways that we talk about body size and the way that you know our our healthcare system interacts with body size Um, but recently I was really lucky to to chat with someone named Rachel who shared her story on, on my Instagram page, um, who she lives in a larger body. And because of it, she's been consistently told by, by doctors, by professionals, um, that she doesn't deserve help for her eating disorder. And, and literally told by people like, you're taking up a bed from someone else by being in this inpatient program, um, which is just oh. so incredibly harmful and hurtful. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine how many people relate to, to Rachel's experience, but um, yeah, particularly with eating disorders, like this message that you have to look a certain way, be sick enough to get help, it's, it's damaging and it's dangerous. It is, yeah, because it, it, it drives the sickness even further to think that you have to, you have to reach a certain weight or a certain size or yeah, certain a certain level of sickness before it's before it's okay for you to seek help or before, you know, you can consider yourself having an eating disorder. It's like this weird, harmful, competitive comparison state to be in that, that just perpetuates the disease. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you for, for sharing that um, to anybody listening. Even if, even if you feel like you just, have a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with food, like that's a good place to start and get help for that so that it doesn't need to escalate even further. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story and and for 
for everything you know that you're doing to advocate for for these types of issues and for other other young people out there who might be struggling. Um, so I know your film is on Netflix. If people want to watch your documentary, I am Maris. Um, but where else can people find you if if they live near you and maybe want to come take one of your classes or just want to find out more about the things that you're up to? Where can they look you up? Yeah, well. Um... They can find me. I'm pretty much Yoga Maris on everything. So just Y-O-G-A-M-A-R-I-S um, on social media. And my website is yogamaris.com. Um, and yeah, and uh, I don't know when this recording will be out, but if it's out before October uh, 6th through the 10th, I'll be going on kind of a mini tour um, through Houston, Seattle, L.A., in San Francisco, there will be some some free screenings and gatherings of the film um, that are put on by Lululemon, um, and so those are those are totally free. Anyone's welcome to sign up, and you can find that information on on my website if you'd like to connect in person. Amazing, thank you. I will link all of that in the show notes below, so anybody who's listening um, can make sure and go follow Maris and and what she's up to and attend screenings. Um, reach out and ask her questions if you want. Um, we'll also link some, some uh, eating disorder recovery resources if you're concerned about yourself or anybody in your life um, so you can know where to, to start to go to seek support. Um, but thank you again, Maris, for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, it's so important that we have conversations like these. And, you know, like we've been talking about, we, we grew up in communities where these conversations weren't normalized and that kind of perpetuated the problem. So I just really appreciate you putting your share story out there and, and sharing so authentically and openly for everybody to benefit from. Well, thank you. And thank you for making the space for me to, to come on and, and share my perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to continue the conversations in the future. Oh yeah. Um, there's always so much more. <laughs> I know there's so there's many so layers to it. Yep. <laughs> That's what's beautiful about it. You can just keep taking it further and further. <laughs> and so to everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you, you got something out of this episode. And if, if you think that it might resonate with anybody in your life, I encourage you to share it with them. Um, open up a dialogue with the people in your life, your friends, your family, your community, start talking about these things, um, mental health, eating disorder, awareness, and just providing tools for a, a more, you know, in, introspective and um, positive life overall. And, and yoga is obviously one of those powerful tools. So again, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe for updates. And until next time, as always, have a happy and healthy day. Thank <laughs> you.